Acts 20. So last week, Paul is on this farewell tour is what it amounts to. Uh, He leaves Ephesus. He feels led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He wants to deliver a, a collection, an offering to the church in Jerusalem. There's a famine in Jerusalem. He wants to give them. The, the saints there, some money. And so he's gone around to all of these churches that he's planted in Asia and some other uh, parts around the Mediterranean, and he's working back towards Jerusalem. He takes a very unconventional route. Uh, he's going in the opposite direction. He travels around to all those churches that you've heard of, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, all those. He's going to all those places. He's telling them goodbye. He's not going to see him again. Then he works back to Ephesus. Two years, and he winds up right back in the same place. He's actually in a town 30 miles, um, I guess, west of Ephesus called Miletus. And he's called the elders of the church. And we said, for us, that's not a, don't see that as a formal designation, but people who are taking care of people. We'll talk more about them next week. So he's called those guys out because he wants to speak to them one last time before he goes to Jerusalem. And last week, we closed by looking at the beginning of his farewell message to these Ephesian Christians. And he starts by looking back. He had spent three years in Ephesus, and he says, here's what my three years were marked by. He's a missionary. Here's what I did for my three years when I was with you. And we said, for us, we're all called to be missionaries as well. Once you begin to follow Jesus, Jesus is the God who goes. And so if you're going to follow him, that means you're going as well. That makes you a missionary. You're going because he's going. And so every one of us can grab onto some of these things that Paul said. And again, he said, this is what my life was marked by during my three years. And for us, we pulled out this idea of placedness. We made that word up. So the fact that we've all been placed where we are by God, whether you feel like it was on purpose or an accident, just acknowledge the sovereignty of God and where he has you in life right now. Where you are, be all there. If he moves you, he can move you. It's not about never leaving. It's just about recognizing that as long as you are wherever it is that you are, God has work for you to do there. That's your placedness. Big idea in terms of being a missionary is first acknowledging that you are one, that God has sent you to wherever it is that you are. And then we talked about washing feet. Paul did that. He said, I served with great humility. And we want to wash the feet of the people who are in our sphere, wherever God has placed us. We'll look for opportunities to serve. And we said particularly kind of the, quote, higher you go in life, the more intentional you have to be about serving because that's not part of your normal rhythm and flow. We all want to serve, but I think the longer we go, the easier it is to think that's somebody else's job. We just lose sight of the uh, value of washing feet. And then Paul also said, anything I had that was good, anything I had that would be helpful to any of you, I shared. And we said we want to have the same attitude. God's given all of us something. He's given you one talent. He's given you two talents. He's given you five talents. That's a parable of the talents in Matthew And his expectation is that you'll use those things to bless others and to glorify him. And we want to make sure that we're doing that. So anybody in my place, do I have anything that would be beneficial to them? And I don't want to play favorites. Paul didn't, Jew and Gentile, we don't want to play favorites. We want to be quick to give away the good things God has given us to anyone who could benefit from them. Today we're just going to look at three verses. So that was Paul looking back. Now Paul's going to look forward to his future. This is what he sees coming For him. And we're going to look at just these three verses today. Verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, 
My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so now Paul's looking forward. He's talking to these Ephesian Christians, and he's saying, that I, I, I spent three years with you, and this is what my life was like, and now I'm, I'm looking ahead. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I, I don't know what's there. And we'll look at each one of these uh, verses. We'll look at each phrase. We'll dive it, uh, into each one of them. It's a bit... Uh, there's a lot of weight in these three verses, and so I'll, I'll just be ready for that. It's not meant to be heavy, but there's a lot of weight in these three verses. And so I want you to try to just find one thing that you can grab onto. Uh, don't try to bite it all off this morning. It'll be overwhelming. Just try to find one thing that you can grab onto that speaks to where you are uh, in your life. So Paul begins, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Compelled by the Spirit, going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to be there. When I hear that word compelled, I think of uh, being pushed from behind. I don't know if that's your image or not. I think of being pushed from behind, maybe to places I don't want to go. That word actually uh, maybe is better understood as tied or chained or bound, which to me speaks a little bit more about being led. So to me, that Paul, what Paul is saying is I'm tied to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to Jerusalem. So I am too, because I'm tied to him and that's where he's going. Well, I'm sticking with him. He's going to Jerusalem and I am too because I'm bound to him. So the Holy Spirit's leading Paul to Jerusalem. and He says, I don't know what awaits me. He doesn't have full detail. And we begin to speak about God's will for our life. A lot of times we want maybe more detail than God is willing to provide. Remember, God's ultimate desire is for us to trust him more and more deeply. That's what he's always looking to do. If you ever wonder what God is doing in your life, you're, you're, you're never going to be wrong if you say he wants me to trust him more. He's always at work doing that. He's a relational God, and so he's always looking for us to deepen relationship with him, which means deepening trust with him. He doesn't give Paul all of the details, and Paul, Paul say, I'm going anyway. I don't know what's in front of me, but the Holy Spirit's leading me. I'm attached to him, and so I'm going to go. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that, pri- that prison and hardships are facing me. So the Holy Spirit is leading Paul to Jerusalem. Paul says, I don't know what's there, but in all those cities that I've been traveling in the last two years, all those cities that we just looked at, the stars on the map, the Philippians and the Corinthians and the, and the Bereans, the Thessalonians, I've been going to all these churches and I've been telling them my plans that I'm going to Jerusalem under the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And what the prophets in those churches are saying is our sense is that it's going to be bad for you. It's most likely what's happening. He's going to these churches, and all the churches are people, prophets. Again, don't think of a formal designation. It's people who are gifted in that way. Some of you are gifted as prophets. And as Paul is saying, this is what I'm doing. This is my plan. These prophets are saying, it's going to be bad for you. Prison and hardships. That word hardship is translated, it's tribulation, it's pressing, pressure, affliction. That's what's in front of Paul. I don't know what faces me, but I know it's going to be difficult. So we'll push pause on that. So you have the Holy Spirit leading Paul to Jerusalem and Jerusalem being bad for Paul personally. I don't know if you can put those two things together in your mind or not. Is God a good father? Yes. Is Jesus a good shepherd? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit lead us by quiet waters and and, and green pastures? Yes. And there's some things that God has determined are more important than the comfort 
and the safety of his children. There's some things that he's decided that they're, they're just more important to him. What God has decided in his wisdom is that it's more important for people who are lost to have the opportunity to respond to the gospel than it is for people who are already found to be safe and secure. You remember that parable in Luke uh, 15, the parable of the lost sheep? We love that one. So there's a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep, and he realizes, wait, there's only 99. One of them has gone astray, wandered off. So the shepherd leaves the 99, and he goes after the one, and he finds him, and he puts him on his shoulders, which is a lot. Sheep weigh about 200 pounds. He puts him on his shoulders, and he brings the sheep back to the flock. And we love that. Because at one point or another, every one of us has been a lost sheep. Some of you still are this morning. You're a lost sheep. And that's the heart of God for you. He is pursuing you. He is searching you out. He is seeking after you. And when he finds you, he's going to put you on his shoulders and bring you back. If you're willing to come. And we love that parable. Because it speaks to God's heart for us. The way God expresses his heart now is through his body. It's through us. So the way God expresses this seeking, this searching, this going heart is by sending his people to seek and to search and to go. Does that make sense? You were one of the lost sheep. Now you're one of the shepherds. Does that make sense? You've got to go. God has placed a higher priority, if I can use that language, on the opportunity for people who don't yet know him to hear the gospel, to have the opportunity to say yes to him, then he places on the safety, the comfort, and the security of those who've already said yes. If you've already said yes to Jesus, then your eternity is secure. The worst thing that happens is you die, and you go and spend forever with God. Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain. I can't lose, is what Paul's saying. Either way, I win. And if you're a Christian, then either way, you win. And so what God is saying is, your eternity is secure... So I'm willing to risk your present because other people's eternity is not yet secure. So the Holy Spirit very well may lead you into circumstances and into situations that are personally dangerous. Definitely uncomfortable, maybe even dangerous for the sake of others who don't yet know him. That can be a hard thing for us to put together. We think about green pastures and quiet waters and good fathers and good shepherds, and we think, well, he wouldn't do that, but he does do that because he's all of those things and because he is zealous for those who don't yet know him. And Paul, has, he's gotten that. He understands. His obedience to God very well may lead to suffering uh, personally. In 2 Corinthians 11, he lists this, goes through this whole litany of things that he's experienced says he's been beaten 39, with 39 lashes by the Jews five different times. He's been beaten with rods by Gentiles three different times. He's been stoned once. He's been shipwrecked, and he spent one night and one whole day in the open sea. He says, I've been in danger everywhere, in the city, in the country, from Jews, from Gentiles. I've been uh, in danger from false believers. I've been hungry. I've gone without sleep. He just lists all of this suffering that he's encountered. For the sake of the gospel. But he wasn't reckless. And I want you to hear that. I don't want you to hear about. This isn't about uh, being a hero. Being a martyr. Recklessly jumping into dangerous situations. At least six times in Acts. Paul either removes himself. 
or allows his friends to remove him from danger. There's at least six different times I went back and looked where either Paul removes himself from danger or he allows his friends to. So this isn't about running headlong into every difficult situation. North Korea is the worst country in the world to live in if you're a Christian. The the persecution in North Korea is the highest of any country in the world. So this isn't about diving into North Korea to say that if God calls you, you go. Then if he doesn't, you don't. This is about suffering in obedience to God's call on your life, not suffering for its own sake. Again, it's not about being a hero. It's not about being reckless. It's not naively jumping into dangerous situations. It's saying, I recognize that in obedience to God, I very well may suffer. That in obedience to God, I may, he very well may lead me into situations that are personally uncomfortable and even dangerous. And I'm okay with that. Again, not because I'm trying to be a hero, but because I'm trying to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? All right. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul is saying, I'm, I'm headed to Jerusalem. I don't know what's there, but I know it's going to be difficult. That's what my future holds. And then this verse, he's saying, and this is how I feel about it. Here's my posture towards this reality that I'm stepping into. I'm leaving y'all. I'm getting on a boat. I'm going to Jerusalem. I know prison and hardship are awaiting me. And here's how I feel about that. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. So that's his posture. He says, I consider my life worth nothing. Again, don't hear that as he's not a masochist. It's not uh, him being reckless, again, there are multiple times he removed himself from danger. He's just saying, I'm going, and even though I know difficulty is going to face me, I'm not allowing that to dissuade me. I'm not allowing the fact that prison and hardship are in front of me to cause me to pull back, to cause me to say, well, I guess that's not God's will for my life, or to be disobedient. I think Paul could have resisted. We all can resist. God doesn't make us do things. He leads, and we can resist. And what we see here is Paul saying, I'm not going to resist. I'm going to continue to obey. I'm going to be faithful to what God is putting in front of me. So I'm going to Jerusalem. My life's worth nothing to me. Again, I don't want you to hear that's not he's not minimizing to live as Christ to die as gain. He's just saying my personal safety and comfort it's not it's not worth disobeying God in order to remain safe or comfortable. I'm not going to do that. My life's not worth that. And then he says my only aim my only aim, or, or, or uh, maybe another way of understanding that is, if I can just. He's saying, my life has value and worth insofar as I finish the race. Insofar as I complete the task that God has given me. And he says, and the task God's given me is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, it doesn't make a ton of sense that if your task is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, that you would go to Jerusalem where there aren't any. But God hasn't given him the full plan. He's just going step by step in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And we'll see he does go to Jerusalem. He does get arrested. And, and from that, he does wind up in Rome. Those things do happen. It's, it seems roundabout to us. If God's called you to preach to Gentiles, why would you go to the cradle of Judaism? Probably the city on the planet that has the fewest Gentiles. But again, in obedience to the Holy Spirit, he's saying, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. My life has meaning only as I finish the race, only as I complete the task. I can't necessarily see how all of the pieces fit together. I just know the next thing 
is to go to Jerusalem because I'm tied to the Holy Spirit, and that's where he's going. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is a classic passage on running your race. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We'll look at this a little bit. Paul talked about his race, and you've got a race too. You notice there, first person, plural pronouns. We're surrounded, let us throw off, let us run. Applies to all of us. We all have a race that God has, he says in Hebrews, marked out for us. It's not a track, you're not running around the oval. I would say it's not even like a road course. It's more like one of those adventure races. That idea of being marked out, better understanding is set before There's a race that's been set before you. If you've said yes to Jesus, then he's dropped you into a race. And there's there's one for you to run, for every one of us. We all have a race to run. Again, it's much more like an adventure race than something uh, where you're just running, you know, 400 around the track or even a well-marked course like on the road. So how do you know? The writer of Hebrews gives us some ideas. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author or the originator or the one who begins and the perfecter, the one who enables things to come to completion. You fix your eyes on him. Jesus is both the starting line and the finish line for us. So you know that those points are secure. You might not know anything in between, but you know the beginning and the end are secure. Jesus, we fix our eyes on him. He's the pioneer and perfecter the author and the finisher, the originator and the completer. And so whatever your race looks like, and Paul says race or task, that word task is service or ministry. Here at Stonebridge, we would call that doing your deal. It's, it's doing the good works that God has created in advance for you to do. Paul's saying, my life only has meaning as I do those things. And the thing for me is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. You have, you have a thing or you have things. And what Paul would say to you is your life only has meaning as you're doing those things, as you run that race, as you complete those tasks, those assignments, as you do those good works that God's put in front of you to do. And again, the the beginning and the end of all of that stuff is Jesus. He's a starting line and the finish line. It's Jesus centric. So as you're thinking of your life, that's the the grid through which you want to look at. Is my starting line and finish line Jesus? Is it Jesus focused? If you want even more specific, three universal commands. These are the only three commands you ever need to remember. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Those six words summarize most of what God tells us to do in the Bible. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Running your race, doing your deal, completing the task. It's the way you specifically and personally and individually love God and love people and make disciples. Jesus-centric. Starting line and finish line. The Holy Spirit is your compass or he's your guide. He's the one that God gives to you that the course might not be well marked, but you don't need it to be well marked because the guide lives within you. You can see that with Paul tied to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem because he's going. It makes no strategic sense from where Paul is sitting in Ephesus to say, ultimately, I want to go to Spain 
but I'm going to go to Jerusalem. My call is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but rather going to than, than going to an unreached Gentile area, I'm going to go to a churched Jewish area. It doesn't make any sense strategically, but it's okay because he's lay. He has a compass, the Holy Spirit, and that's the way he's pointing him. In Acts 16, I hope this encourages you. A guy like Paul, who we would say is greatest missionary, greatest church planter in the history of the world, wrote half of the New Testament. He gets, he bangs into a wall. He misses it. I wanted to go to Asia and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go. Then I tried to go to Bithynia and he wouldn't let me go there either. He's 0 for 2. And then I had a dream. A man from Macedonia appeared to me in a dream and said, come talk to us. I'm wondering if God's saying to Paul, you've, like, if he has to send him the man in the dream because Paul's missing it. Paul has in his mind, this is where I want to go. God shuts one door, he shuts another door. And I'm wondering if, if Paul is so focused on where he wants to go, he can't even hear the Lord. And so God sends him a man in a dream so he won't miss it. I hope that encourages you as you think about your own life and your own attempts at trying to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He's your compass, he's your guide, and he's very good at it. We want to cultivate sensitivity for sure. But it's God's responsibility to direct us. And he's very good at that. Your starting line and your finish line are set. It's Jesus. You keep your eyes fixed on him. Is what I'm doing Jesus-centric? Is it Jesus-focused? Does it bring glory and honor to Jesus? Does it spread his name and his message? Does it reflect his values? Check, 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 check. Yes. The Holy Spirit within me. Do I have a sense of peace about these decisions that I'm making, about the way that I'm going? Are doors opening up for me or are they closing for me? Do I have a sense of God's pleasure, for lack of a better word? Is there joy in what I'm doing? Am I frustrated? Am I anxious? Am I antsy? Those things may indicate that you've missed it. You don't want to read everything into your emotions, but God will speak to you through your emotions, just as he will through your mind. You've got a race to run. Beginning and the ending are fixed. He's given you a compass. Put the compass within you so that you can be guided and directed and led. And it's your race. We're all not running the same one. There's as many races as there are followers of Jesus. One of our greatest temptations is to look at the people next to us and be, I want to run his race. Or I want to get him to run my race. That's what we do. You don't do that. Hebrews 10, we spur one another on to love and good deeds. The best thing I can do for you is to help you run your race. It's the best thing I can do for you. And the best thing you can do for me is to help me run mine. Don't try to get me to run yours. And don't compare yours to mine. If my eyes are fixed on Jesus, then what am I not looking at? Anything else. I'm I'm not looking at you. Not in a bad way, but I'm not looking at you. He's the finish line. He's the same finish line for you and for me. We're just going to get there in very different ways, if that makes sense. The way I'm going to love him and love others and make disciples, it's not necessarily going to look like the way you are. And there are times where I'm going to look at your race and I'm going to like it a whole lot more than mine. And there are times you're going to look at mine and like it more than yours. That's not the thing. We're going to keep our eyes fixed on him. We want to spur one another on to love and good deeds. You want to run your race. Here's just a few examples in the Bible. Just There's... Wait, dozens more. 
Abraham's race, father to many nations. I look at that and go, wait, what's easier? He just had to have a kid. That was his race. But he had to wait 25 years. And God's building faith in him and building trust in him. And then he's got to put his kid on an altar and raise up a knife. Not easy. That was Abraham's race for the most part. Joseph's to save his family from famine. Very difficult. You look at Abraham and all Abraham does is get rich during his time following God. He gets rich and he has a family. Well, yeah, can we have that race? Joseph gets thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, thrown in jail and forgotten about. Who wants that one? Abraham more than Joseph. No. He's got different races to run. Joseph ultimately saves Abraham's family from famine because he's placed in second position in Egypt. There's a famine and Joseph has known about it from a dream in advance and he's made provisions. And so when his family comes, he's able to take care of them. And this promise to Abraham to be the father of, this, of, of many nations, that Joseph is instrumental in seeing that come to pass. When Joseph begins, there's 70 people in Abraham's family. By the time the 400 years in Egypt are over, there's over a million people in Abraham's family. Joseph's obedience directly led to that. That was his race. Ruth, her race was to take care of her mother-in-law. You want that? Take care of your mother-in-law. You honor her. You support her. Through Ruth, we have David and ultimately Jesus. Moses, lead your people out of slavery. You look at Moses' life, it's marked by these signs and these wonders. You don't see that in a lot of these other guys' lives. And we can look at that and say, I want that. Does God love Moses more than he loves someone? No. His race was different. Nehemiah, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Ezra, rebuild the temple. In Jerusalem after exile. Paul, we just saw, preached the gospel to the Gentiles. There's, there's dozens more. We could go through each person mentioned in the Bible. And we could discern what their race course is. It's going to be different. Starting in the same place. But it's going to look different. And yours will too. So do you know what yours is? Do you know what your race is? Do you know what the tasks God has called you to in our Jargon. Do you know what your deal is? And you've got a side note. Parents, let me just say this. So temptation that we have is to put our kids on our back and run the race for them. And we think we're doing them a favor. You're not. Ultimately, your role in your kids' lives is to be part of that great cloud of witnesses. That's your, that's your rightful spot. You want to be a, a, a witness to them running their race, not in the race with them. Does that make sense? Their race is not yours, and you also don't get to determine theirs. God does. So for some of us, there's this kind of releasing our children to say, God, you get to decide. These were the hopes and dreams I had for them, and I'm going to die to those because you get to determine what their race is, just like you got to determine what my race is. And it may be hard when you're in the middle of it to realize your kids are only going to be with you for, for less than 20% of their life. That's it. And you look at your own life and how much of your life was lived outside of your parents' home versus under their roof. Our job is to prepare them to run their race. So parent accordingly. I won't give you specifics on that. You can hear the Lord. But I would encourage you, even with preschool, elementary school age kids, 
What does it look like for you to posture yourself as someone who ultimately will be in the great cloud of witnesses, not on the race course with them? What does it look like for you to spur your kids on to love and good deeds? What does it look like for you to prepare your kids to discern what their race course is and then to run it well? Don't put them on your back. You, think, you may think you're helping, but you're not. You're, you're not. Nobody's legs are getting stronger if they're riding on your back. Nobody's learning how to hear the Lord if you're doing all of that for them. So you can take that for what it's worth. And you got to run. Nobody runs accidentally. Our natural posture is sedentary. This is, this is, this is how we are unless we make an effort to be something else. Running takes even more of both of those things. Our natural posture is to sit. And so if we're going to, Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says run. So that requires some level of intentionality and some level of effort on our part. And he says run with perseverance or run with endurance. Don't get discouraged when things are difficult. You've got to keep running. Many of us run in fits and starts. We run, and then life happens, and we quit running. And then we get convicted, and then we start running again, and then life happens, and we quit. My encouragement to you, what does it look like for me on a regular basis to run the race that you've marked out for me? Some of us, we sprint. We go really hard for a short amount of time, and then we're done. We're to run with perseverance. I would encourage you, if I can say it this way, and you can kind of parse the metaphor, I think it would be better for you to run slower longer than to run fast and burn out. It would be better for you to set a marathon pace than a sprinter's pace. Most of us radically overestimate what we can do in a day, in a week, in a month, and we radically underestimate what we can do in a year, in two years, in five years. Take a long view. Run at a, ask the Lord. You've got to be my coach. You've got to be, you set the pace for me. Look, begin to say, what does it look like for me daily to run the race that you've put before me? We're going to close with this idea. My only aim is to finish the race. That's it. That's, I can't imagine saying that. My only aim is to finish the race. Or if I only may finish. If I was thinking about that, you really can only have one target at any particular time, right? You have to choose. You can't shoot at two things at once. You can't. You can only have one aim. We can only go for one thing. We talked a few weeks ago, that word priority came into the English language in the 1400s, and it was singular until the 1900s, and then we decided to make it plural, which you can't do. You can't have more than one first thing, or it's not a first thing. You can only have one. We can only have one aim. C.S. Lewis famously said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. And so my encouragement to you as we close is to aim higher. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Silly example, uh, January, a lot of people decide they want to get healthy. But, and some people uh, define that in terms of weight. I want to lose 10 pounds. That's what I want. I want to lose 10 pounds this month or over this first quarter, before spring break. I want to lose 10 pounds so I look good in my swimsuit. And so 
I can do that in lots of different ways. I drink Coke and sweet tea, and so I can replace those with Diet Coke. And so I go from however many calories and grams of sugar to zero of both of those things. I'll lose 10 pounds if I quit drinking Coke and sweet tea. I will. But am I any healthier? Probably not. I've replaced sugar with something. I'm not sure what that is. It's whatever they have in Diet Coke. I've gone to zero. I've lowered my calories. I'm not any healthier. May have, you know, I'm not. What if I said instead, you know what? I want to be 10% healthier this year. I want to get 10% stronger. I want to get 10% more flexible. I want my blood, my, uh, blood pressure to drop 10%. I want to eat 10% more things that grow. I mean, that's what I'm doing. That's aiming higher. I probably wind up losing weight as well. I can lose weight, earth. Maybe I get there. Maybe I don't. I can aim higher, health. We'll call that heaven. I get, lost, I get weight loss thrown in. I want you to think about that in your own life. That's a silly example, but it's an idea. What does it look like for you to aim for heaven? And if you don't want to change the trajectory of your life based on what C.S. Lewis says, Jesus says the same thing. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then every, all these other things, the necessities of life, those things will be given to you as well. He's saying the same thing. Shoot for the kingdom Shoot for heaven. God will take care of what you need on earth. All of these things will be given to you as well. If you focus on those things, read the verses that's in Matthew 6. Read the verses right before that. And he's telling people not to worry. When you're shooting for earth, all you're doing is worrying. You're worrying about what you're going to eat. You're worrying about what you're going to wear. If you'll shoot for heaven, you'll get it. And you won't have to worry about the things you need on earth. When you're thinking about your race... And you're going, I don't, Paul didn't have a family, as far as we know. Maybe he was a widow, a widower. Maybe he never got married. We don't know. Paul didn't really have a career. He made leather goods from town, as he went from town to town as he needed them. He didn't have a, a career in the way most of you do. And so we may can dismiss what he, his life and what he's saying. And so it's not realistic for where we live in 2017 here in Marietta. And I just want to encourage you, aim higher. Aim higher. If God captivates your heart, if he captures you with his love and with his goodness, you'll say, too, what gives my life meaning is running my race. That's what gives it meaning. It's finishing the task that God has given me. It doesn't mean my family's not important. It doesn't mean my friends aren't important. It doesn't mean that I start mailing it in at work. That's all aiming at earth. I'm aiming for heaven. I'm running my race, and I get all that stuff thrown in as well. Let's pray. I tried to end a little bit early to give us some more time. We have 15 minutes. And we're going to take a, a, try to take at least most of that. Just to be in the presence of the Lord. But I want you leaving here with, if I could give you something, I would want you leaving here with a sense of what your race is. We set up some chairs around the side of the stage, and we're going to use those as an altar so you can come forward and kneel, and no one will, you won't be bothered. Somebody may put a hand on your back, but they won't speak to you, and they won't ask you any questions. That'll just be your time with the Lord. We'll also have ministry teams, and we'll pray with you again about anything that you have going on, but I would say particularly around the stuff that we've talked about. If you need encouragement, let these guys be part of that great cloud of witnesses to you. 
let these ministry teams be that to you today. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pray, and if you're willing, you can just begin to uh, agree with this and invite the Lord to speak to you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to speak and guide and direct each one of us. Pray that you would make us aware of the plans and the purposes that our good Father in heaven has ordained for us. We've all got a race. Some of us know it, some of us don't. Some of us that know it forget. Would you remind us, would you show us, reveal to us, Holy Spirit, the mind of the Father, the will of the Father for our lives. God, I pray for those who are, they like their race better than the one that they think you've got for them. Would you bring them to a place of trust? You're a good Father. You only give good gifts. Can we trust that you know best? Would you move in our hearts? submit and acknowledge you know best what you have for us is better than anything we can create for ourselves God I pray for each one of us that like Paul we could get to a place where we could say my only aim what gives my life meaning is being faithful to God would you so captivate our Imaginations, Would you so capture our hearts with your love and with your goodness? Would you so burden us with this zealous desire you have to make your name known and to draw as many men and women into relationship with you as possible? Would you so burden us with that, that we could say, that's worth it. That's number one for me. And God, I pray that as we risk into our race as our primary aim. That you would show yourself faithful to add everything that we need. God, I pray that the testimony of the men and women in this room would be aimed for heaven. And I got earth thrown in more than I ever could have asked or imagined thrown in. God, I pray for those who they know their race and they ran and they've, for whatever reason, they quit. They got tired, they got burned out, they took a wrong turn. Would you stir in them this morning, Holy Spirit, that idea of perseverance, no condemnation there. Just stir within them a desire to start running again. So we open our hearts. We open our minds to you this morning. Pray that you would move, that you would speak, that you would stir. In Jesus' name, amen.